Hi, David here, normal host of Tech Talks. We've got something a bit different for you. Over the next seven weeks, every Friday, I'm really excited to bring you something a little bit different. Tech Talks presents Security Bytes. Our colleague and CISO, Jim Tiller, has got his microphone out and is talking to some of the leading lights in the security sector, an area that is obviously at the top of the agenda for so many organisations. It's a bit of an industrial revolution, you know, not just in cyber, but across all of manufacturing and business and finance and healthcare. Every industry is affected by it. Welcome to Security Bytes, a weekly show where we cover interesting cybersecurity news from the week. And then we're joined by a leading cybersecurity expert to discuss today's pressing business and technical challenges of security. Join me, your host, Jim Tiller. Brought to you by and powered by Nash Squared. Let's get started. In this week's security news, we're going to cover off on three interesting points that I believe. One is around security or securing automation. We saw a lot of acquisitions recently. I mean, going back to earlier this year, Google bought Simplify, mostly around their uh, SOAR capability. They also acquired at $5.4 billion, Mandiant. We saw Sophos pick up SOC OS. Devo acquired Cognos. And then, of course, you know, Tenable picking up BitDiscovery at $44.5 million as well. Now, for customers, for organizations that are out there in the space that are looking to automation, RPA is a very attractive element. But I think in many cases, we keep asking ourselves, what does this mean from securing it? So how do you secure automation, especially robotic automation? And we have to understand that each of these quote unquote robots is part of your new digital workforce. When we think about digital transformation we, and automation, we need to understand that we're talking about a digital workforce. And this digital workforce in many ways has the same characteristics as your human workforce. They need identities and access control applied to them and maintained. They also can be taken over. It creates a very interesting dynamic. We see the security industry moving rapidly toward automation for obvious reasons, but just for any general organization that's going through digital transformation, RPA and automation is a big point. And I think what we're going to see is greater and greater intensity around securing automation. And we're going to see it start with identity access management, but it's going to quickly expand from there. Also, Recently, there was a report done, a survey of over 1,000 security professionals across all kinds of countries, uh, Brazil, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, India, Japan, UK, and the US as an example. And a lot of things were shown there, but the statistic that jumped out for me was 30% said they would leave the security, cybersecurity industry as a career within two years. I find that astonishing. I mean, reports will show you anywhere from 2.7 to 3.5 million jobs unfilled in cybersecurity globally. So if we're losing 30% or just say 15% a year, it's going to be very, very difficult to build up that capability. As organizations, we need to think very, very long and hard about how we're bringing people into the mix in our security programs and putting emphasis on how we address things like cyber burnout and how we address the identifying the needs of that and, and needs of that community and maintaining a scenario where we can only continue to attract people to the industry, but find methods within organizations to retain them. 
Also in the news, what I found interesting is around Costa Rica. For those watching the news, Costa Rica has been under a massive attack now for months. Attackers have gotten access to the Social Security Fund, causing essentially the to shut his computers down to thwart the attack. It just goes to show you when a threat actor becomes hyper-focused, and in this case, most of it seems to be coming from uh, Russian cyber gang Conti, the intensity around these attacks can just continue to escalate. Even uh, an established country <laughs> can begin to be highly affected and impacted, and it's still ongoing now. And there's clear signs that the desire is to upset, disrupt, and frankly, overthrow the government. Finally, I'd like to talk about the sort of botnet, if you will, around enemy bot. And what's happening here is an interesting evolution from other bots. It's been predominantly focused on IoT environments, but it's moving pretty rapidly into business systems and websites and now mobility and content management systems. And it's using a process that's kind of being referred to as one-day attack or one-day vulnerabilities. And these are vulnerabilities that are known and have patches. But as soon as they show up as a CVE, these become attack strategies for this botnet to do remote code execution, to exploit systems, to embed itself. And it's really living off the land, as it were, when it comes to the patching lag. Once again, we are proven that patching is one of the most important things to maintain security. But now we have a vastly aggressive botnet growing intensely and across multiple types of systems and devices from websites and uh, Android devices all the way through to business applications and routers and Wi-Fi routers. So we're going to see a lot of interesting things come out of that particular aspect. And that's this week's news on Security Bytes. Joining me today is Joe Shore. Joe Shore are old friends and colleagues for more than 20 years. Joe started off in technologies as a hardcore consultant moved into pen testing, and is now a strategic advisor for some of the biggest companies in the world around cybersecurity. Joe, how you doing? Excellent. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So in the news today for this week, you know, one of the topics that just keeps popping up is around what I'm generally referring to as the democratization of insecurity. And this is, when we look at digital transformation and organizations of all types, sizes, and shapes adopting technology at a massive rate, thanks to cloud and things like that, which are great. Um, I'm not sure security is keeping up. So we look at the increase in threats. We look at the increased adoption of technology. And thanks to things like ransomware and all that that represents is organizations that could easily have operated without a computer, say, five years ago, are basically brought to their knees quite easily by type of threats today. So I want to get your take on this. What are, we, what are we dealing with today? What's your thoughts and how do you see this evolving? Yeah, you're right. I think you nailed it. You, um, the people that used to say, and you've heard this a million times, the people used to say like, you know, we're too small or we only make this widget. Who cares about us? The democratization thing is great. Everybody's jumping on the digital transformation bandwagon. You know, we want to move to the cloud. We're uh, increasing efficiencies using robotic processes and automation and things like that. That's all wonderful. But it also brings, by democratizing, it also brings a lot of people into that shining spotlight that previously, you know, bigger companies or someone a little bit out of their fighting class used to be in. The ones that have been dealing with this stuff for 15 or 20 years already. So, you know, you get your typical mom and pop 
manufacturer that is part of a supply chain for a big car maker, they know about cybersecurity. They've worried about these things over years, and they probably took prudent measures to address it. But now they really are entering a brave new world. You know, it's a it's a bit of an industrial revolution. You know, not just in cyber, but across all of manufacturing and business and finance and healthcare. Every industry is affected by it. And then at the same time that's happening, you've got enormous pressures, macro pressures, macroeconomic, macro societal, global, climate, ESG, all the different things that everybody's talking about right now that are also pushing on people in different ways. It's almost what I just feel from reading the headlines is that you're getting to a classic example where you're going to have to do way more with way less. I mean, when I think democratization, that's the dirty flip side of it that I worry about. You know, you bring in a couple of topics that really are interesting that I didn't think about, but it is kind of a multidimensional pressure. You know, I'm thinking it as simply adopting technology, but when you speak to all the things, whether it be global economics, politics, whether it be, you know, ensuring quality, uh, diversity, uh, accessibility, you know, there's huge pressures on businesses. And not only that, but when we look at building deeper partner and, you know, supply chain mechanisms to be quicker to market, um, all these have amazing pressures on organizations. So there, is there really a mom and pop anymore? I don't know. I'm really starting to think about this, but I'm sensing that because of the accessibility of the cloud and what it represents and combined with the sheer unadulterated attacks done by threats, whether it be state sponsored or otherwise, right? You know, there's just so much money now to be made. I mean, how, how are companies going to close the gap on their security capability? Is it, just throw themselves into the cloud and, and kind of hope that the cloud providers provide great security. I mean, what does that middle range do? What, what do you think they should be doing with all these pressures, cyber being one of them? And clearly what could bring the company to its knees, right? Yeah. I mean, think about any great, any great rush, land rush, gold rush, whatever, like the miners, <clears throat> think about the miners in 1849 out West, right? They used to, guys would go down, They'd mine some gold. They dig a hole in the ground. They throw their gold dust or whatever in there. <clears throat> they might go to town and eventually turn it in for cash. And then the towns grew up, and people went from hiding their money under their bed to sticking it in the banks. Well, all of a sudden, the banks become a prime target. You know, <laughs> as people are they're looking for someone else to safeguard their treasures these days. You're right. The, the cloud looks like a really attractive option, and it is in a lot of cases. But just like you said, by the same token, that that makes all these people that are rushing to, you know, digitally transform their companies into kind of a prime target. And again, at the same time, you know, you've got the headlines are packed with nowadays. I mean, like this is really recent past few days, past few weeks. The headlines are starting to get packed with the numbers of companies are laying people off like it's coming. Musk just said yesterday he's going to get rid of 10 percent of Tesla. So. I think it's it's silly to assume that, you know, the cybersecurity budgets won't start dropping or cybersecurity people won't get laid off. So, again, that people are rushing to to put their treasure in the places that they feel like it may be safer. But the places that may be guarding the treasure are under the same constraints as everybody else and may be dialing things back. I, I 
I've said this to a couple of people, but, you know, some of the, the most romanticized, if that's the word, criminal eras that we've gone through have been during times of great economic downturn. You know, a movie that I probably watched a hundred times was Scarface. I think it was made in whenever it was made, the early eighties, but it had to do with like the late seventies when the economy was not doing well, crime was rampant, drugs became a big thing. Um, Bonnie and Clyde and Al Capone and all those people, Pretty Boy Floyd, all the legendary American crime stuff happened during the Great Depression. You know, when there's times of economic downturn, you've got people who normally had the normal civilized constraints of having a job, having a salary, being able to pay their bills, having a couple hours a week to go coach your kid's soccer team, all of a sudden being out of work with their backs up against the wall with the same bills to pay, the same kids to feed, and the constraints are gone. You know, they've still got the same the same tools, techniques, abilities, and everything else, but what's holding them back now? Again, I think that people are greatly underestimating what effect this whole global economic thing that we're starting to roll into is going to have. You know, we didn't, we didn't have this kind of universal access or all of our eggs in stacked in very few baskets back in the 1970s during the last really big recession. Um, even in 2000, when we had that, that dot com hit, things weren't quite like this. Even in 2008, we talk about that a lot, but you know, you're going past a decade now. Things have changed dramatically in the past decade. So we've never actually seen anything like this happen before. You know, big economic downturn, lots of global unrest, highly educated workforce, very few or way less natural resources than we used to have, and this kind of universal ability to get online. So it's going to remain to be seen, you know, human nature being what it is, we're going to see just how far people are willing to go. Quick review is putting your money in a, in a banks and then big banks become the target. It's really interesting to understand that with regards to downturns and the spike in particular crime, you know, I'm, I'm a big, a big component of, I think cryptocurrency has ushered in the entire new, new revolution around hacking. I mean, I'm back in our day, you know, I used to always ask the question, I would give speeches around, how are they monetizing this? Why are they making money being bad guys, right? And back then it was, you know, break into banks or come up with reshipping scenarios and all kinds of manipulating of computers and e-commerce. But now, I mean, any, frankly, any Joe Schmo can go out and rent access to a botnet and do, you know, ransomware. I mean, ransomware is a service, you know, a few bucks and they take it off the top. So, you know, you're going to make money. It's just astonishing to me that we're reaching a point where, you know, everybody's gobbled up into it. And I got, I got two things, two points I want to make. And the second one's going to be kind of a counterpoint is just recently there was a survey done and get this, this, this is actually pretty mind blowing. It said after surveying a thousand security professionals in multiple countries like UK, US, Australia, Japan, India, Germany, it actually showed 30% of respondents were looking to get out of the security industry within two years. So roughly 24% was saying in two years and the balance was less than two years. We have on order about three and a half, it's somewhere, depending on what you read, it's somewhere between 2.7 and 3.5 million unfilled jobs. So while we're trying to incorporate people into the industry, we have people that are just 
getting cyber burnout and falling out of it. And by the way, the average tenure was like nine years from that survey. Here we are, economic pressures, companies are having to refocus. They're going to move to more rapidly the digital transformation because mm-hmm. it because of the advantages it gives, efficiencies. And then you add in things like RPA and all this kind of stuff like automation you just spoke of. Meanwhile, that cyber burnout is only going to get worse. And of all the times you need people focus on security. So that was the first point. Counterpoint I would give you. So we're talking about the democratization of insecurity, but let's flip this around. How about the democratization of security? You said you took your money out from under your mattress and you stuffed it in the bank. Everybody's rushing to the cloud and we're kind of originally framed it as a problem. But in reality, I could argue Microsoft has completely 180 on security in the last decade. I mean, they're they're crushing it. And then you look at, you know, Amazon, of course, and of course, Google and things like that. But the cloud is, is that a safe haven for our, our 20, what I guess we're still in 21st century, but the 2020 evolution where data is currency is, is now the cloud, the new bank. I mean, should our recommendation be, yeah, okay, well, you know what, you better get everything you own in the cloud because otherwise you're not going to be able to maintain any kind of security. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. See, the funny thing is, as much as I've been talking about doom and gloom, I also see the flip side of it is that, and it sounds nuts, and I think you and I talked about this like 25 years ago, a lot of the great advances in technology and things like that have come as a result of, like, vice (laughs) and crime and war and terrible things, you know? Like video, video compression technology came about because the porn industry needed to serve up, you know, much more quickly downloaded videos and things. So you know, did e-commerce. It, it, I mean, yeah, it's just a fact. Yeah, That's absolutely. Sort of, it's crazy. You look at the numbers back in the early 2000s, that was, was driving all these different industries. Every defensive technique we've come up with, sadly, because it's so reactive, but all the defensive techniques we've come up with, the technologies and everything else are as a result of, you know, Someone's swinging at you from the right, you learn how to defend and attack from the right. Someone's swinging from the left, you learn how to defend from the left. And we get pretty good at these things. That's why the, the, the really, you know, well, quote, reliable cloud services and things like that are pretty reliable. The problem is that, and you brought up crypto, so I'm going to pick on it a tiny bit. And believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm a big crypto believer. But um, you look at something like having a wallet, and this goes back to my under the bed thing too, right? So does it seem weird that every time there's something pops up, like some kind of uh, crypto downturn or an attack or whatever, all of a sudden nobody can access their crypto. Like it's happened numerous times. I don't know it's Coinbase or Robinhood or wherever. All of a sudden they say, oh, well, we're going to suspend trading or, you know, we're going to do maintenance now. Or some for some reason, people magically can't get to their money, Right. And I know for a fact, I mean, just, I mean, it's anecdotal, but I know for a fact a lot of people are into crypto are just pulling their stuff off the exchanges and sticking it on their wallet. Because then it's in, you know, it's as close to being a tangible asset as it can be when it's in your wallet, your thumb driving, your hand. Whereas if Coinbase decides, you know, we're going to suspend trading for 48 hours, you're stuck. Mm. So, yeah, people go into the, to the cloud or to these kinds of services I think it does have an advantage, especially for the the little guy. But like anything else, you got to pick the right ones. And that's always, I mean, that's what keeps people like you and me in business all these years is that 
we've been trying to, to shepherd people through this, you know, pasture full of wolves and let them know where it's safe to go hang out. Hmm. Yeah. I, and, and, and I'll, I'll make a counterpoint to my counterpoint. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so the thing is, is you said it earlier about putting all your eggs in one basket. And for the first time we have, bigger, bigger baskets with more and more we've, we have become people talk about, you know, a global economy. We, you know, if this whole thing, this, this war in Europe has proven anything is that everybody is interconnected at a fundamental level. Right. And I think without getting too esoteric and out there on the edges, but I would say is when we look at moving to the cloud, you know, it's, it is not the end all be all because moving everything is very difficult. But then again, more and more companies are finding ways of leveraging data in new and, and better ways in communications and no and understandably so the cloud is focused on that. So I think I guess what I'm saying is is that if there's a mistake in the cloud, the bad guys are gonna find it. In some ways, the internet was designed originally to be highly distributed and highly resilient. That was its onset, you know, and it was for a long time. And now we see this sort of consolidation of energy into these into this cloud environment and there's some advantages to that but now all of a sudden you know nothing's going to work if that happens now granted we have highly distributed networks and content management systems and you know i'm not going to get into the technical aspects but theoretically you know one can say that there's some potential downside there but it's like it's like two-factor authentication is it exponentially better than a password in some cases yes in some cases it's just a little better but it's just one level that just improves things so just go for it i think where people are going to start having problems with the cloud when it comes to security is it doesn't make the governance of security go away and right now every company i talk to is bored almost with the governance piece so get a new technology and and that'll fix that problem when in fact Security is really about that, the hard work up under the covers. That's why we have security burnout. It takes real brain power to do this. And as much as we try to automate out of it, as much as we try to stack technology on top of it, you're going to need that brain power. And uh, I think as big cloud industries, you know, the Amazons and so forth, are constantly enhancing their security capability, how you take advantage of that is going to become exceedingly complex. It's going to be, it's going to be, really, really interesting um, in this kind of piece of it. Yeah. And it's funny while you're talking, it's so funny. It's everything, everything old is new again, or everything new is old again. I just forget which way that goes, but we've, we had all these discussions. We had them like in 1995 and 1996. Like we could substitute, it hit me how much we've used the word cloud. And if we, if there was such a thing as a podcast, back in 1995, which there wasn't, you would have had to get like a, a time slice on public radio on AM dial somewhere. But let's say it's 1995, we're on the AM band chatting about security or on ham radio or something <laughs> that, using a telephone or whatever. We would have been talking about this big, bad internet and all these companies we work with want to go to the internet. They're all screaming on about getting on the internet and the world wide web and what do we do and how do we get there? And our salespeople want laptops and you know, what, the, how do we, this, this big unconstrained animal out there. The only thing that makes me feel better is that we're having the same exact discussions, but the technologies that we're talking about, the digital transformation, everything I think is way more mature than what we, that was the wild west. Totally. When the internet opened up, 
you went, you literally went from completely distributed, you know, fortressed up, if you were lucky, fortressed up networks, sticking those things on a universal party line where there were no rules and nobody knew what the hell was going on. Now we've actually at least had the benefit of a couple decades of fighting that fight. You know, you always fight the last war. So we've got, we've at least got those lessons from getting the planet up on the internet and up on that magical world wide web, which nobody even says anymore, which is funny. Yeah. What? No, I was going to say, but I would argue is that the internet was tangential for, I mean, for a decade, at least mm. very tangential to the core of the business. It was email. It was Lotus one, two, three and Excel. And it was, you know, kind of helping us build better processes. Nowadays you can't manufacture a part for a tractor. <laughs> without a computer, right? Yeah. You know, and I mean, some some industries, like um, I went to go visit BMW in Germany. This is literally years ago. And the computer controlled the torque that would be put on fasteners during the manufacturing process. And if they had a problem with that computer, they couldn't torque bolts correctly. And that would, you know, who knows what the downstream effects with that would be. Today, now you can't make a coat hanger. You can't make, you know, it's just amazing because computers are controlling everything. And I think that was a bit of a shock to the cyber community back in the early days when Stuxnet came about that people are like, oh, my yeah. gosh, you know, computers can have a, an effect in the physical space. But anyway, go ahead. You were saying I interrupted you. No, you just gave me like 10 more things. To think about. Like, <laughs> we're going to talk someday about like analog versus digital. I mean, like all the crazy things have been going on, the Ukraine and it, it sparked me when you said something about, you know, you can't, you can't take a step without using a computer. I'm thinking about, well, the most extreme example is that when Russia started feeling out the Ukrainians years ago, started attacking their grid and their power systems and different plants and stuff, they went analog. <laughs> they took, they started going back to, you know, like tubes and switches and levers and dials. And it looked like the Homer Simpson nuclear plant instead of, you know, like some space age nuclear plant. Because that's the only way they had to defend against it, you know, to literally take it completely offline, which is the equivalent of going back to putting your money under money under the mattress. Yeah, I wonder how much, you know, how much things are are going to push back in a way or get um, go more analog, for lack of a better term. It's going to be it's going to be one of those two steps forward, one step back. I'm sure, like everything's been for, or maybe one step forward, two steps back. Well, I think what we're going to see, I totally agree. I think what we're going to see is some, what I would like to call jitter as we move into the digital transformation mm -hmm. and then realizing, wow, we're really exposed and then trying to move back in and back out again. So, so Joe, as, as an expert for gosh, more than two decades now, what's the final word, for example, I mean, is the advice to move to the cloud and really focus your energy in the cloud, to circle the wagons around security? And leverage those or is it is it fundamentally be very good at understanding the risk that you're moving into and and go forth with uh, a real security plan it's it goes back to use the word governance earlier <clears throat> and it really keys on that you've got a and this could I, i've been given the same security advice to people since literally the mid 90s when i was tasked with protecting intellectual property at WL Gore to people make Gore-Tex. And it was just very simple. I mean, you had different people were allowed different levels of access to the Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe, the Gore, the Gore super secret sauce that we had. And then as you moved out, you know, they had varying degrees of security. 
And at some point, if if something is your crown, completely your crown jewel, then that's what you devote all your resources to protecting. If you don't think that you can protect that in the cloud, then don't go to it. You know, so I guess my, my advice is, like with most things, diversify a bit. You know, you can put things that are, and again, this goes to the governance, figure out what's less and less risky and start to move those things into a different environment. So yeah, adopt the cloud. Go start putting some of the things that you classify a little bit lower out there. See how it works. Get good at managing your stuff there. Don't just wholesale rush to it, you know? That's the the biggest key. You don't just flip the switch and go overnight to something, which I think, again, because of the economy and everything that's happening, unfortunately, I think a lot of businesses may get into that position. You know, they lose people. They've got, they, they're going to have their backs up against the wall and have to just offload everything to someone else. And that as a former hacker or former pen tester, um, that's a target rich environment. That's the part that scares me. Joe, thank you so much, man. This was fantastic. Thanks a lot for joining. Hey, it was awesome. We should have been uh, recording all these conversations for 20 years. We might have actually gotten somewhere in life, you know what I'm talking about? So (laughs) anytime, feel free to call me. Love to come back. (laughs) Thanks a bunch, Joe. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And catch you next time on Security Bites. 